Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, So whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well... What better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking about the power of habit with Charles Duhigg. Charles Duhigg is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who writes for The New Yorker, The New York Times Magazine, and other publications. He is also the author of bestsellers The Power of Habit and Smarter, Faster, Better. And he's the host of Slate's podcast, How To. As a business expert, self-help expert, Charles explores habit formation and the science of productivity in order to help folks on a day-to-day basis. We are excited to have him join us to talk about how we can implement better habits, uh, in particular when it comes to our personal finances and uh, how we can lead a more productive life. So Charles, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Hey, Charles, uh, we're, we're glad to have you. And every episode uh, of the, this podcast, Matt and I, we talk about money. But at the same time, we, we drink a craft beer. And that's because we are fans of people prioritizing something that matters um, in their financial life uh, in the here and now, while they're also saving and investing well for the future. So I want to know, um, that's kind of our splurge. What is your splurge? What's your craft beer equivalent? My craft beer equivalent. Um, I mean, I, I I buy a lot of like gadgets. I find <laughs> that like I I love to to 
to check out the latest gadgets and and uh, and play with them. So that's probably my splurge. What was the last gadget you bought then? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I just bought an e-bike. Oh, oh yes. Uh, oh, so yeah, you're talking our language. It, it has not arrived yet, but when it does, I'm excited to to check it out. Did you happen to purchase the new Rad Wagon? No, I didn't. I actually did buy from Rad though. I bought the um. The not the Rad Runner. The they got like a city uh, one or something like that. Not the city. Um, the what, in fact, here let me look it up. I can't remember exactly which one it was. It, it's the one with the fat wheels. Oh, okay, oh, okay, nice. yeah. Where you can kind of Rad glide. Rover, maybe you're able to like the glide Rad over Rover. Curves. Yes, the Rad Rover. That's what I okay. bought. The Rad Rover. I heard it feels like that you're like biking on a sofa because <laughs> it's so comfortable. <laughs> it's yeah. like a Cadillac. It's bad. I've got the Rad Wagon. So Charles, just uh, heads up, you're gonna love it. Do you like it? Oh, I, I love it, man. I, I put uh, my one-year-old on the back. We we bike all over town. And oh, good. It's, it's the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> good. So I'm excited for yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, just e-bikes in general are amazing. They are, are such a way forward for individuals to be able to take on bike commuting, uh, even losing a car, like cutting a car from their lives. You know, just the ability to get across town with a, an e-bike is completely changed the game. We're huge fans of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, Charles, I saw that you've been featured. Uh, you've been a guest on the, the now the Funked Colbert Report. Yes. <laughs> I've actually uh, been in the audience before. Was that a fun experience for you? What was that like? Yeah, it was great. It was great. I mean, he's he's a fantastic host. And um, and the whole show is kind of fun. You know, I think anytime you do shows like that, like it, it actually goes by very, very quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, but no, we I really enjoyed it. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, he was. That was uh, kind of a, an incredible role that he had for those years. It might not work. Um, Matt and I were discussing as well <laughs> right now in today's time, but it was so good when he when. Because it, it was a parody back then, but today it's like, oh no, like a lot of folks are taking it that extreme in real life. It's, yeah. it's almost not as funny anymore, whereas, you know, years ago it was hilarious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, that's well, true. Hey, Charles, let's talk about your podcast. We're, we're fans first of the name of your podcast, by the way. You're one word <laughs> away from the perfect podcast name. Um, but let's talk about uh, some of the topics you've covered on your podcast, How To. There's uh, one really interesting one that you did um, not too long ago about convincing people to give you money. You highlighted uh, con artists and folks that run nonprofits as being especially good at this. So what did, you, what did you learn in that episode about how to effectively get people to give you money? Well, we had on this this woman named uh, Maria Konnikova who wrote a book about con artists and about how con artists work. Who actually, she just published another book uh, called The Big Bet about um, her learning to become a, a poker professional. Mm -hmm. And and what Marina, Maria says in her book, which is really interesting, is she points out that, you know, the, the con artists kind of operate according to a formula. And part of that formula is basically knowing who their mark is and what their mark wants to hear, and then tailoring their pitch to that and giving it a sense of exclusiveness, giving it a sense of scarcity, um, giving it something where they believe that they are they are uh, they are helping other people, although they are also helping themselves. So one of the one of the best cons is something where where the person's going to make money. They believe that they're going to make money on by giving you some money. They're going to make more money, but it's also like, well, you're also helping like the children right you're helping like you know some someone off in another country um you're doing a real favor to them because that way they can dress up their own greed right. in kind of this need for to, <laughs> a, a virtuousness and what's really interesting is that when you talk to folks who do nonprofit fundraising a lot of the tactics are very very similar that that you need to tell people that even though they're giving money to a cause like to a nonprofit, you need to tell them how it's going to benefit them 
Um, but then you dress it up in this, you know, you're making the world a better place and we're going to put your name on a building. <laughs> so it's really all about sort of like about how awesome you are, but we're going to, we're going to let you have a self-righteousness that allows you to, to feel like you, you're doing this for the, for the right reasons. Right. And so <laughs> that was really interesting is to sort of figure out like, like what we know is that we know that there is the psychology behind why people how people treat their money, right? You guys know this. And so a lot of the, the tactics that con artists use aren't that dissimilar from the tactics that that fundraisers use, even when they're doing it for a good cause. Yeah, and, and even in a less con artist type of way, you can use those approaches. You can use those tactics when it comes to, like, say, asking for a raise, right? You know, if you are trying to convince your employer that how it is that you are helping them, how you're helping the company, well, that's literally what you need to do <laughs> when you actually are asking for a raise. The Charles, more recently, I think my favorite episode was one that you did about acing uh, virtual schooling, you know, on Zoom. Uh, what uh-huh. did you What did you take away from that episode uh, about how to think about our kids and, and screen time? in you know these COVID times well it's really hard right I mean I think that like kids are suffering right now way more than than we even understand I have two children myself and they've been doing virtual school now they're back in in well one of them is back in day-to-day school and the other one is still virtual schooling it's really really challenging and and I think that one of the things that we've learned is just that this interactivity is really important that being being with other people is really important if you can't be with other people that figuring out how to foster conversation conversation. You know, I found this on my own doing Zoom calls, I'm sure you guys have too, that one of the challenges is that you lose all of this kind of ease of what's known as back channeling within psychology, the people saying yes, mm-hmm, sort of showing with their body, whether they're following along or they're distracted. Even when people are thinking, it's harder to know that on Zoom. Right. If you're sitting in a room with someone, oftentimes we use eye contact to signal when someone else should feel free to speak, right? We tend not to look at each other in the eyes when we're speaking, but then when we finish a thought, we tend to look at someone else in the eyes, and that's kind of a, an almost unconscious signal that that person can go ahead and start speaking. The, the problem is on Zoom, if someone's, you know, if you're sitting in a room with someone and they're looking off into the corner, which is totally normal, you can look in the corner and see that they're not <laughs> looking at anything. And you know that they're sort of just thinking about what they're saying on Zoom. If they're looking off into a corner, it looks like they're distracted or mm. we don't know what they're looking at. And so this distance communication has been really challenging. In some ways, I think it's actually more challenging with Zoom than it is without Zoom. I think verbal communication is actually easier in some respects than verbal plus video. And so when it comes to kids and Zoom school, one of the things that we've learned is that you really have to spend some time thinking about how are you going to keep that kid engaged? How are you going to make it easier for them to pay attention? Because it's just so hard, so easy to get distracted and to kind of tune out. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I found that with my kids <laughs> and especially a kindergartner trying to get used to um, school in the first place, uh, much less school virtually. It's um, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. Uh, Charles, let's talk about habits for just a little bit. Uh, your best-selling book, The Power of Habit, it's just really, really good and so many great stories weaved in there that brought your points home. But what kind of actually spawned your initial interest in taking on that subject in general? Well, you know, um, I was I was just interested in I, I sort of had this basic question, which is like, if I'm if I'm so smart at other stuff, right? I had I had gone to Yale for college and to Harvard Business School for to get my MBA, and and yet there were all these things that I still felt like I had struggled with so much, right? Like I struggled to eat more healthily, I struggled to make myself exercise more, 
And I just kept on thinking, like, if I'm so smart, like, why is it so hard to do these things <laughs> that I see other people do all the time, right? Like, why is it hard for me to master my habits? And so, so the goal of writing the book was in part just to educate myself, like, how do habits work? If I understand them better, will that help me understand how to control my own habits? And it turns out that we we are and we're living through this sort of golden age of understanding habit research that that for the first time, because of advances in neurology and other psychological sciences, that there was this ability to understand and observe habits at the most minute level. And so once I started looking into that, I thought it was fascinating and decided like, that's that's what I want to write a book about, because I want to learn it for myself. But then also share it with other people. Yeah, personal growth, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah. great excuse to dive into that research. And in your book as well, you cite a study that shows that like around forty-five percent of daily activities are habits. Like we don't even think about them, right? And so, does this mean that like half of our lives are like we're just reacting to cues, uh, and you know we're kind of doing things just mostly without thinking? Makes me think I'm a robot or something. Yeah, so it's forty <laughs> to forty-five percent, and and what it means is, I mean, to be clear, what a habit is: a habit is a choice that you make at some point, and then you stop making the choice, but you continue you doing it right so so the first time that you walked into the um you know walked into the cafeteria at work you decided to go get a sandwich instead of a salad even though the salad was was healthier and then you just kept on doing that without kind of consciously making the decision what we know is that our brains are designed to actually basically kind of stop stop spending so much energy when we're in, in the grip of a habit. That's why habits are so useful is because they, they free up cognitive capacity for other tasks, even when we're driving to work or walking down the street. So what that means is that, you know, 40 to 45% of what we do every day, at some point you made a decision on how to spend that time, but then you just kind of continued on autopilot with, according to that decision, without reconsidering it. And so the more that you can sort of analyze your own habits and say like, oh, look, I'm doing this behavior because of a habit and there's a cue and there's a reward that's driving that activity, that routine, the more control you get over actually making making the habits that you want to have rather than the ones that just kind of emerge without our permission. Hmm. Uh, Charles, we want to talk more about habit formation and get your tips on breaking bad habits. And this, of course, applies to how we handle money at the same time. We'll get to some of that uh, right after this break. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations 
get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we are back from the break talking with Charles Duhigg about habits. Uh, and Charles, you write about uh, specifically the habit loop uh, in your book, but I'd love to discuss how we can break bad habits that we might have fallen into, right? Yeah. Um, bad habits, they, they can call, cause us to, to spend money, maybe emotionally, waste time on social media, uh, other things, right? You, you write how habits can develop into even a massive gambling addiction. That's almost impossible to curb. You, you give an example in your book. Uh, so how in the world do we actually kick a, a bad habit? Well, the first thing is is to 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 realize that thinking in terms of breaking a bad habit is exactly the wrong way to think about it, and and that's part of the lexicon, right? We say like I want to break a bad habit, but that's not how habits work. We can't. We with willpower, you might be able to extinguish a habit that you don't like for a little while, but 
as soon as you feel stressed or as soon as like, you know, you have a moment of weakness, it's going to come back because that neural pathway is still in your brain. So the way to think about it is as changing a bad habit, replacing one behavior with another behavior rather than breaking that bad habit. And to, to do that, you have to understand how habits work. And you mentioned the habit loop. So the thing about habits is that every habit has three parts. There's a cue, which is a trigger for an automatic behavior to start. And then the routine, which is the behavior itself. And then finally, a reward. Every habit in your life, whether you're aware of it or not, is delivering a reward to you. And, and a part of your brain known as the basal ganglia exists to kind of recognize that reward and make that, that chunk of behavior, that cue routine reward, easier and easier to do for you. So if you have a bad habit and you want to change it, the first thing to do is to identify the cue and the reward. Try and figure out, you know, what is triggering this behavior and, and what reward is it delivering it to me? And then find a new behavior, a new routine that you can insert into that habit loop that corresponds to that old cue and that delivers something similar to that old reward. So for many people, let's take smoking as an example, right? Because we think of smoking as a, as a particularly pernicious habit, a, an addiction. And, and nicotine is addicting. It's actually less addicting than we sort of popularly know it is. About 100 hours after your last cigarette, nicotine is out of your blood, your blood system, your bloodstream, and people are no longer physically hmm. addicted to nicotine. So it's less the drug and it's more the habit is what you're saying. Well, yeah, exactly. People get in the habit of smoking. And so, you know, weeks after giving up cigarettes, years, they still feel that urge for a cigarette when they're sitting down with their morning coffee. You know, if you have that urge years after giving up cigarettes, that's clearly not a physical addiction. That's a habit dysfunction. But, but habits exist in the same part of our brain as addictions. And so they feel very, very similar. And so if you want to give up cigarettes, you can, you can just go cold turkey and throw them away. But a better thing to do is to try and figure out, okay, what reward is smoking giving me? And for many people, it's that um, smoking provides a break from work, right? So you need something else that's going to provide a break from work, some, some new routine that delivers similar reward. For some people, smoking actually calms them down, right? It's, it, the nicotine has a kind of calming effect, in which case they need to find something else to calm themselves down. In so, for some people, it's, um, it gives them a little bit more energy, so they need to start drinking coffee when they would normally smoke in order to replace that behavior. But that's kind of the point, is that you don't break a bad habit. It, you change it. And once you change it, then that, that change becomes much more sustainable. And, and what about just forming a new habit, like just out of the blue, right? Um, and, and we're in a time of year where people are probably particularly thinking about um, starting a new habit and creating, you know, some change in their lives. And so, you know, a lot of our listeners in particular are like, well, how can I maybe spend more mindfully this year or actually stick to a budget? If they're looking to start from scratch to create a good habit right now, um, where do you suggest they start? So this is a great question. We actually just recorded a podcast episode about this. Oh, great. It's going <laughs> to be coming out next week um, about how to create good spending habits. And, and there's a couple of things that people should keep in mind. Number one is... To, is, you know, first of all, you just have to have the basic, like, sort of money hygiene. So, like, if you have debt, you should be paying down your debt. If you, you, sh you should absolutely have a budget. Like if you don't have a monthly and weekly budget, then, and if you're not tracking what you're spending, then you don't know what is going on in your own finances and you can't possibly be on top of it. Right. So, so there's some basic money hygiene stuff that everyone should do. But then on top of that, like the question is, well, how do we think about the habits? 
you know, a lot of the spending that we do. So it, when people finally do get their budget and they, and they track what they've spent every week, what they see is they see that they're wasting a lot of money, right? They're oftentimes wasting money on things like going to Starbucks. They're wasting money on, you know, buying, particularly during the pandemic, buying things from Amazon. One woman, this woman we were talking to yesterday said she feels anxious if she doesn't have an Amazon package coming, which, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous, but I totally understand, right? Because I think, I think lots of people feel that way. And then, and then on top of that is this this question of what are the rewards that these are providing? I, you know, people spend too much money going to restaurants and on food. That's always something that people overspend on. They buy too much food, or they buy food from restaurants, or they're going to you know um, Whole Foods rather than the the local grocery store that's cheaper. And so, once you know what your habits are by tracking what you're actually doing. Then you can start asking yourself, okay, so what rewards are this actually providing, right? Am I buying because I'm bored? During the pandemic, the answer is often yes. People are <laughs> bored. True. They need a break from like their Zoom calls. They're online and they go to Amazon or they go to one of these websites that like has like, you know, here's like the 10 new things you should buy or, X or, or Instagram, or which is just constantly feeding you stuff to buy too now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so like, are you buying stuff because you need it or are you buying stuff because you're bored? Chances right. are you're buying stuff because you're bored very often. And so then the question becomes, okay, so the answer is not to just say, I'm going to stop going to those websites because you're still going to be bored. The answer is to say, how do I come up with something else that solves that boredom? How do I come up with something else that provides the the reward that I used to get from shopping, which is some novelty, some sense of excitement about the future? And there's lots of different ways to do that, right? Like once you once you pose the problem that way, you can say, oh, instead of instead of like, you know, if I'm bored, instead of like going and surfing to that website, I'm going to let myself watch 10 minutes of TV. Right, I'm going to turn on a TV show and I'm going to watch it on my computer instead of going to Amazon. I'm just for 10 minutes. I'm going to go to or Instagram for 10 minutes. I'm going to go and I'm going to watch The Queen's Gambit for 10 minutes. Yes. Right? And like I'm going to yes. set a timer. But the point is that like that's a cheaper way of solving your boredom. <laughs> and the more that you break it down and you say what rewards is this spending giving me, the more you're going to get closer to figuring out a way to make it easier for yourself. Right. Yeah. You, you shared another example, too, where just snacking can be a habit when in reality you realize that you're not hungry. You're just looking for some socialization. I know yeah. I, I kind of fall into that same trap when I, you know, I'm sitting here working. Uh, I have a tendency to, to think, OK, maybe it's time for another coffee. <laughs> but what I really need is just a break. And so even just standing up, grabbing a kettlebell, uh, which is, you know, it's also a healthy kind of thing to do. But like doing some kettlebell swings gets the blood flowing. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm feeling ready to continue working. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, like, I think that's exactly right. Like, like. We want some. We want an excuse to stand up and walk around. And the easiest way to stand up and walk around is to walk over to the kitchen and get something to eat. But like right. you can just as easily stand up. And once you realize that what you really want is to stand up and walk around, you can stand up and walk around the other direction and pick up a kettlebell, or you know just go outside and walk around the block. Just walk away from the fridge. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, in in your book, To the Power of Habit, Charles, you, you also cr credit community and peer pressure as reasons why certain habits tend to remain sticky. Uh, given the increased isolation so many of us have felt during the pandemic and, and obviously the decrease in in-person community, how have you seen that impact individuals in the, the, you know, the way they exhibit habits and behaviors? Well, I think that strangely, like actually people feel are feeling many people are feeling a stronger sense of community during the pandemic. Hmm. They, they, they tend, you know, one of the things that undermines community is 
um, not spending enough time with the same group of people. So, so one of the things that we know is that like having a community does it doesn't matter how many people are in the community. It matters how much time you're spending with those people. And so in many of our daily lives, you can be around, you know, a hundred people in a day, 80 people in a day, but you're not really interacting with many of them for more than a couple of minutes. If you take like Alcoholics Anonymous as an example, one of the important things about Alcoholics Anonymous is that it's very stable. It tends as a state, it has a, it typically has a very stable time. It happens at the same time every day, very stable um, structure. It usually opens with someone telling a story about themselves. And, you know, you sort of say these similar, these similar things each time. And equally importantly, you tend to have a pretty stable group of people there. So you see the same people usually each time you go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And that stability is an important part of why that community feels supportive. So one of the things that's happening right now with the pandemic is you're exactly right. We see less people. And so our community has shrunk, but we tend to spend a lot more time with the people that we see because we're at home with them. Um, And so, or we're on zoom calls with them all day long. And so what we found is that for some people, community has actually been strengthened in some ways. Now that doesn't mean it's easier, right? That doesn't mean that like, like that community feels really invigorating um, mm-hmm. because you have to put work into a community and it's not supposed to feel like fun all the time. But for people who feel like they're missing community, I think that's part of the solution is to find people find people to touch base with the same people to touch base with on a regular basis. So to have a regular, you know, once a week zoom call with your friend where you guys know you're going to get on at Friday at noon, every, every week, and you're going to have a zoom lunch together. That's really important. Charles, you also end up boiling a whole lot down to the power of belief. You know, why is belief so important and how do we develop a, like a deeper sense of belief in ourselves in order to affect change? Well, so so belief believing that you can change is really important to making change um, effective, and and what we know about belief is that the the best way to actually to to actually learn to believe in yourself is to practice believing in in anything, right? Like so again to return to Alcoholics Anonymous. Not that AA is like perfect, but but there's a lot of sort of interesting lessons there. Um, one of the one of the steps in AA is that they tell you to um, believe in a higher power. Now, they don't say it has to be religious. They don't say it has to be God. It could be like, you know, my higher power is democracy. But but they, they do encourage you to believe in something larger than yourself. And I think the reason why that's so important is because basically what they're doing is they're getting people to practice believing in things. And eventually that muscle, that believing muscle gets strengthened and people can learn how to believe in themselves. And so the thing that like I think is really helpful, if, if people are struggling with things, is and they want to build up their capacity to believe that they can change is what's known as the science of small wins basically to take these baby steps what we know about how change happens is that most change happens because people have small incremental non-linear successes that lead up to a big change so so instead of saying i'm going to go run a marathon they say tomorrow morning i'm going to go for a walk around the block and they go for a walk around the block and it's not that hard and they 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 have this small win, right? I go in for a block, and they believe like I am the I'm the kind of person who can go for a walk around the block. And then the next day they say, okay, so I went for a walk around the block. Now I'm going to go around the walk for two blocks, and they do that. And eventually they get so tired of just walking, they're like, I'm going to take a jog, and I'm going to jog for half a mile. And and these small baby steps, this science of small wins, that is how we learn to believe in ourselves is by practicing belief in smaller, low stakes 
cases. And that's really, really important because we can do that for anything, whether it's saving money or getting in better shape. As long as you can sort of find some ways to take baby steps, then you know that you're going to be in a position where you can train yourself to believe that change is possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I loved that insight from the book for sure. And it, it really is powerful. It's something that we can use to our advantage. Uh, Charles, we have just a few more questions for you, in, including what it looks like to create a to-do list that we can actually um, take charge of and, and do well that will actually influence us for the better. And we'll get to some of those questions right after this break. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. 
Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we are back from the break talking with Charles Duhigg about habits. And Charles, before we talk about you know, kind of optimizing our life, I wanted to touch real quickly too on keystone habits. You mentioned that in your book. You mentioned how they can kind of create habit momentum in your life, you know? And so can you share what keystone habits are and, and why it is that they're so important? Yeah. So a keystone habit, what, one of the things that we've learned from research on habits is that some habits seem to matter more than others because when they start to change, they set off a chain reaction that changes other patterns as well. So a great example of this is exercise, right? For many people, exercise is a keystone habit. And, and when they start exercising habitually, what happens is they start eating more healthily as well. Their, their eating habits change. And, and that kind of weirdly makes sense to us, right? Everyone's kind of experienced that. You go for a run in the morning, and then when you go to have lunch, it's easier to get the salad rather than the you know unhealthy hamburger. But what's interesting is that when we look at people who've started exercising habitually, for many of them, when that habit starts, they also start using their credit cards less. Hmm. They tend to procrastinate less at work. They, they this is my favorite finding, they, they do their dishes, like wash their dishes, on average 20 minutes earlier in the day on the, <laughs> when they've exercised. And, and that makes less intuitive sense to us, right? Like none of us think of, of ourselves as going out for a run and think like, oh, I'm going to keep my Amex in my pocket today rather than taking it out. <laughs> <laughs> and yet what we know is that the same way that, that exercise habits change eating habits, they change other patterns in our lives as well. And that's because for many people, exercise is a keystone habit. It changes how we see ourselves. And that change has an almost subconscious influence on other choices that we make. And so for many people, the, the question is, how can you identify the keystone habits in your life, the, the changes you can make that will set off a chain reaction, that will change other patterns? And the answer is to look for those changes that kind of seem irrationally scary, right? For the reason why exercise is such a powerful keystone habit for so many people is because oftentimes um, it's 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 not a keystone habit for people who are like high school athletes, like people who are accustomed to seeing themselves as athletic usually will not see a big change in their life when they start exercising on a regular basis after like a period of inactivity. But it's for people who were not high school athletes, the people who like never thought of themselves as athletes, when they start running, you know, three times a week, they start subtly thinking of themselves as a different kind of person. They start thinking of themselves as the kind of person who manages to run three times a week. Mm. And that, that kind of person doesn't spend recklessly. That kind of person doesn't eat unhealthily. And so the key is to look for those types of change that seem irrationally scary to you. And that's usually a clue that if you change it, it'll change your self-image a little bit and that that'll have an impact on the other patterns in your life. 
So are, are there any things that you found in uh, going through all the research and in through uh, writing your book that any keystone habits that particularly affected how we handle our money? So thinking of yourself as a saver, right? Like the, like, like somebody who, so, so he, here's how I do my money. I, I use mint to track all of my purchases, right? It mm-hmm. ties in all my bank accounts every single week. Once a week I sit down and I have a spreadsheet on Excel and I fill in all these things in the spreadsheet with how much money is in my is is in my bank accounts, how much credit card like how much is on my credit cards right now, how much is in my four hundred one k, how much is in my investments. I have like you know ten or twelve cells that I fill in on that spreadsheet, and then there's these little formulas that tell me how much I spent compared to last week, how much more I how much money is in whether my, my net balance is up or down from last week, how much money I've made overall, except you know how much how much more is on my credit card or less on my credit card, and and so this is a habit for me. I do it every single week. And the thing that it does is it makes me very, very aware of the money patterns in my life. It also makes me think of myself as someone who thinks about money, who thinks about like and cares about where my money is going. And I think in part, that's why writing a budget and tracking your own spending is so powerful is because not only does it give you the data to kind of see what's going on and see where you're spending too much, but if you do it regularly, if you stick with that budget, if you look each day to see what you spent on or each week, you start thinking of yourself as the kind of person who cares about where their money is going. And that kind yeah. of person, that kind of person does not make frivolous purchases quite as easily. Hmm. And so the number one keystone habit for people around money that can change how they spend is to create a budget and update their budget regularly because that habit not only gives you information, but it also changes how you see yourself when it comes to money. I love that. Yeah. That change in identity is what happens there. Right. Charles, in your book, Smarter, Faster, Better, uh, you talk more about focus in an age of information overload. In the world of personal finance, you know, information can be blinding. <laughs> so how do we filter the information that is helpful versus the stuff uh, that we should probably ignore? The, the first thing to understand is that, is that more information is not better. Oftentimes it's worse, right? You can, you can overwhelm yourself with, with information and basically not learn anything as a result. So the key is that you really don't want more than at the most three data points that you're paying attention to. And it's pretty, and like, if you have less than three, that's even better. So like at first you can just say, look, I want to, I want to compare, um, you know, my, my bank account balances this week, with the same time last week and see if they've gone up and down. And I want to compare, you know, how much I spent on food this week with how much I budgeted for food this week. And just starting small that way and really like, like focusing in on that because that whatever we focus on, we're going to be able to change. And if you focus on, if you have 15 categories in your budget and each week you look at all 15 categories and you're trying to figure out what's going on. If you do that at first, you're not going to make any changes. You're going to be so like overwhelmed by the amount of information you have. So the key is at first choose one or two at most three data points to pay attention to. Now over time, you might get to a place where you can do more data points, right? You know, two months down the road, you're like, okay, now I'm looking at two other things. I'm looking at food and I'm looking at, you know, how much I'm spending on commuting. But but only once I get food under control do I start pay- paying attention to that commuting budget. The key is to not let yourself 
feel productive because you're looking at a lot of data and not actually get anything done. The <laughs> yeah. less data you are looking at, the higher the odds that you're actually going to change what you're paying attention to. Mm, that's that's great stuff. Yeah, I, I want to ask you too, uh, Charles, about to-do lists. Um, they're just kind of one of these simple, but typically they uh, ineffective sometimes and, and super effective depending on how you use them, um, but they can be used really well. And, and you've talked about how you create a better to-do list that, that actually helps us get more done. Like wh what's the trick to making a to-do list that's actually successful? Yeah, so it's very similar to focus, which is that that the, the, what we know from studies is that most people create to-do lists that have like 20 or 30 things on them because what they're actually using their to-do list is as a memory aid. Rather than, rather than trying to remember things, they put it on a piece of paper and that's great because it's much easier to remember things when they're written down than trying to carry them around in your in your brain. But then they make this mistake, which is they say, okay, this memory aid that I've developed, that's my to-do list. And that's, that's not the right way of doing things because what will happen, and we know this from studies, is that oftentimes people will look for the easiest things on that list to, and do them because it feels so good to cross them off. Oh, yeah. So what's <laughs> I, I think you better, mentioned that sometimes people write something down that they've already done just so they can put oh, a checkbox yeah, exactly. next to it. Like <laughs> something like 30% of people who write to-do lists, they'll write down a task they've already completed because it feels so good to cross Guilty. it off. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so the he is like you should have a memory aid that's a piece of paper but then you should have another piece of paper which is your to-do list and you should not have more than three things on that to-do list and what should be on that to-do list is number one the most important thing to do today number two if you get that first thing done the next most important thing to do and number three what you suspect is the, is the most important thing for tomorrow, but you might change it when you write tomorrow's to-do list. And you write a new to-do list every single morning, and the goal of a to-do list is not to simply help you remember things, it's to prioritize things. And that's why you never want more than three things on it, is because the, the act of writing a to-do list is to force you to to decide what is the most important thing I want to get done today, and then putting that as the top priority and ignoring everything else. Yeah, there's a difference between doing the things that you need to do right now versus just all the things that are in your mind that you want to have a list of somewhere <laughs> else, but exactly that's not right. necessarily your to-do list. That's exactly right. So, Charles, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us today. Where can people find more about you and your podcast? They can find... So, if they just look for How To by How to with Charles Duhigg on Slate, they can find the podcast wherever they listen to podcasts, and they can find out more about me or about The Power of Habit or Smarter, Faster, Better just by Googling any of those words or going to Charles Duhigg duhig.com or i'm c duhig on twitter if you folks want to follow me awesome thanks again for your time today charles we appreciate Thank it you take care joel man what a great conversation we just had here with charles about habits and you know in particular this time of year as folks are basically thinking through like how can they become a better person this year uh how it is they can stick to their new year's resolutions talking about habits and how they're formed and how it is that we stick to them is so important uh so i'm glad we had this conversation today man what was your big takeaway uh today one, I'm just proud of Charles for getting an e-bike because e-bikes are the future. So yeah, way to go. And of course, he gets a rad, rad power bike. <laughs> I mean, everybody is getting those bikes these days. They're so affordable. So even though Charles and I have never met in person, we can be best friends. It works. Yeah, um, you have that kindred spirit. <laughs> exactly. And, and yeah, it was definitely hard to pick one takeaway from this episode, man. It was jam-packed full of knowledge and uh, just a lot of interesting insight. But I think uh, my biggest one was that small wins are so important. And, you know, one of the things that he said was if you're not a natural budgeter or if you kind of hate budgeting in particular or, or really anybody, like you should focus on fewer data points. And I think when we're trying to come up with a budget and you and I, uh, I don't know, maybe six months ago, we had an episode where we talked about 
different styles of budgeting for mm-hmm. different personalities. And we mentioned simpler being better. Um, for and, a lot of folks, that's what they need. Right. And that was echoed in this conversation that the simpler your budget, the more effectively you're going to be able to stick to it. So concentrate maybe on a few data points that most negatively impact your budget. Um, and if you can just over the course of a few months, pay attention to those two or three things where you find yourself overspending, um, then you don't necessarily have to have just this robust budget that you're checking in on on a weekly basis that's overwhelming you that you're not going to be able to stick to. If instead you focus on just a few data points, I think it will um, help you be able to actually find budgeting as a useful tool um, in 2021. So yeah, I don't know. That was my big takeaway. Yeah. But yeah, there was a lot of gold was, in this one. So what it was, was good. It was good. No, yeah. I mean, it's certainly the power of focus, right? You know, to focus on a few of those things and make sure that you succeed at those things versus getting bogged down by all the details. I mean, it's something we talked about even in our uh, year-end review episode. But uh, for me, my big takeaway, man, was kind of when we talked about Keystone Habits. And he writes more about this in his book. But you know, he, he elaborated more here in the conversation how when you start doing something that's really scary to you, how you, when, when you have this irrational fear of doing something... I have lots of irrational fears, Matt. <laughs> but it should, you should pay attention to those things. You know, like when you feel that way about something, it's like, okay, what is it about this thing that makes me feel that way? And he's pointing out that as we confront those fears and as we change our behaviors, we also change our identity. You know, uh, in particular, he highlighted exercise. For a lot of people, they see that as this scary thing. Like, how do you get to the point where you're just going to work nine to five and working versus you know seeing the people on the weekends uh, running marathons or triathlons, that kind of thing? There's a wide chasm between those two points. Yeah, I thought one of the most interesting things that he said about exercise, which is always a thing that goes through my mind, is I don't have enough time to do that. Yeah. But what he what he the point he made was that you uh, people that exercise actually have more time <laughs> in their yeah. lives it's fascinating how you do the dishes sooner in the day <laughs> yeah it's, it's fascinating how that works and so i need to stop using that as an excuse and start working on my habit yeah yeah and so i just love the fact that by confronting these fears though how you literally start thinking of yourself differently you know you start exercising a little bit you go for a run around the block and all of a sudden I am an exerciser. Yeah. <laughs> like that's just, uh, it becomes a part of your identity. And I love that. Uh, and the same thing when it comes to like looking at your money, he knows that by looking at his money once a week, that has changed the way that he views his own personal finances. You know, he, he then sees that, oh, I am a saver. This is who I am. It becomes a part of who you are. And when you have a sense of identity like that, you are invested to stick with it. No doubt. So yeah, I hope that information was helpful to all of our listeners as they're looking to either you know kick off a, a new habit this year. Um, in particular, in all likelihood, if they're listening to this show, a positive habit, positive habits in, in regard to their personal finances, or really just any habit. This was a conversation that I think can, can help you potentially stick to some of those New Year's resolutions that yeah. you might have already made. Um, all right, Matt, let's get back to the beer that we had while we were talking with Charles. This one was called Boys in the Yard, uh, Milkshake IPA. And the reason it's called... It's, it's actually Boys in, boys in the in. Yard. I love a good uh, boysenberry uh, <laughs> pun. And so that's what this one was. It was literally an IPA with boysenberries tossed in from uh, a local brewery down the street from us called Wrecking Bar uh, Brew Pub. Matt, what were your thoughts on this beer, man? Yeah, Wrecking Bar is one of our favorite local brew pubs here in Atlanta. And dude, one of the first things I, I thought of, as you mentioned, bo- you know, the boysenberries is like, what is a boysen? <laughs> Makes me think of that old Mitch Hedberg joke. Uh, but like boysenberries aren't something you regularly see. You know, it's, it's not like a typical berry that you would you know, pick up at the grocery store. At least if you have, it's not one that I have. Right. No, you me neither. Uh, I'm like strawberries, blueberries. Yeah, yeah. Maybe some raspberries it's if like, I'm getting crazy. It's, it's like one of those berries that you cook with <laughs> that, that find their way into beers or other dishes like that. But I've never had a boysenberry 
on its own and like what does a poison tree or bush look like <laughs> i'm curious to know uh but i really enjoy this one man this was like you said a milkshake ipa so it was kind of creamy it's got some of that lactose sugar in there but it also had some of that fruitiness that uh, a boysenberry adds not having had a boysenberry separately i can't necessarily pick it out you know i'm like oh i can really taste the boysenberry notes i taste fruit and so therefore that makes me think oh that must be boysen must be <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i did enjoy it this is one that you just picked up a couple days ago and they had just canned this so it's really fun to to have a really fresh crisp ipa like this uh really enjoyed it man yeah what were your thoughts yeah man i, I love the smooth vibe of a milkshake ipa that lactose smoothness just kind of um is a different mouthfeel which i enjoy from time to time and yeah the boysenberry action combined with the hops it's just kind of a fascinating flavor profile and yeah i think uh, it can be done poorly the milkshake ipa but this one was done quite well so yeah i, I love everything wrecking bar puts out um one of like you said one of our favorite local breweries um so yeah another winner today um by the way one thing charles said that we d- haven't talked about he mentioned uh, the queen's gambit uh, <laughs> everyone if you if like you're late to the game on this you should totally watch the queen's gambit such an excellent excellent show on netflix you burned your way through the full first season by uh, now right oh yeah oh yeah I, I don't know if there's a second season coming but if there is i'll be watching Nice, man. Yeah, that's, that's not one that Kate and I have started yet. We didn't get to that over the holidays, but uh, maybe we will soon. You you should. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, folks can find our show notes up on our website at howtomoney.com. We'll make sure to link to Charles' podcast and his books as well, uh, where you can learn more about the different things he has written about. Yeah. And by the way, um, every other Monday uh, when we're not interviewing somebody, Matt and I are answering your listener questions and especially if you're a new listener and you're kind of trying to figure out how money works or you've got some questions about your personal finances we'd love to take your question on an upcoming episode just go to howtomoney.com slash ask simple instructions there to send a voice memo our way and hopefully we can take your question on an upcoming episode all right man that's going to do it for this episode though so until next time best friends out best friends out From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. 
Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.